0: Moment of Truth with Pastor Matt Shackelford is a ministry of Central Church in Collierville, Tennessee. Please visit us online at centralchurch.com.
1: What does it take for guilty man to be made right with holy God? The Bible tells us all have sinned. We've all broken God's law and we all stand guilty. And God says that the wages of our sin is death. And you can't earn salvation. You can't bribe God with good works. So what do we do? This is the truth. There's only one way to be made right with God and it's a free gift. And the moment that you repent, the moment you place your faith that Jesus Christ has died on the cross for your sins, God will make you right with him. He will wash you, he will make you white as snow. So moment of truth today, what will you do with Jesus?
0: It takes motivation to live the good life. If we are to live the type of life that leads others to Christ, we have to be constantly motivated to disciple and share Christ with those we love. God's extreme grace should be extremely motivating. Unfortunately, we often forget the urgency and begin to become complacent. In today's sermon, Pastor Matt reminds us that there is nothing more important than glorifying God and making Him known. Let's turn to Titus chapter two, verses 10 through 15, and listen in now for your moment of truth.
1: We're in Titus chapter two. We're going to finish up the chapter today. As you're turning there, I love this picture that showed up on the internet. It was a biker being chased by a bear. Can you imagine? That's motivating. Someone turned it into a meme that said the following. Some days it's hard to find motivation. Some days motivation finds you. And that would be pretty motivating to be chased by a grizzly down the hill. But I I think about that with our sermon today. There's a lot of things that motivate God's people or a lot of things that ought to motivate God's people. And in fact, it's said in the early Celtic tribes of Europe, what they would do is when they would go into battle, they did something very strange. They would have their family go with them. Their wives would stand at a distance. Their children would stand at a distance. Grandparents would stand at a distance. Why? Why would they stand at a distance on the battlefield? It was for motivation. It was the idea that I better fight hard, and if I don't fight hard, it's not only going to affect me, it's going to affect generations. It's going to affect other people. I better fight with bravery, I better fight with courage, because if I don't, others will taste my cowardice, others will taste my failure. And just like everyone else, just like other situations, you and I, as the church, will need constant motivation, and God knows that. God knows that His people from time to time need to be motivated to accomplish the mission that we've been given. We need motivation to make disciples. We need motivation in our marriages. We need motivation with our children to continue laying down a pathway of discipleship for them. Because there are moments, there are times when we get tired, when we get discouraged, and we will need to be motivated. There are times when we'll get frustrated at work and we'll forget our mission. We need to be motivated to go back into the workplace, to go back to our job and see it as a mission field and see it as an opportunity for the gospel. You and I need constant motivation. The problem is we don't sense the urgency. Most of the time in life, we don't sense the urgency of the situation. This past week, my wife and I got away. We went to North Carolina, a place called The Cove. We do this every year, and we do some hiking. And what we do is we sit around and we listen to sermons as well. And that's a great time. And it's one of the retreats my wife and I have done for a couple of years now, and I'm already signed up for next year. I think that's important for a pastor. Amen? I think you have so much stress, you sort of have to get recharged and be poured back into. And that's one of the things that I do from time to time. So we were there Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday just listening to sermons and walking. And the speaker was Al Mohler. Now, he's written a ton of books. He's one of my heroes, and he is phenomenal when it comes to culture. He kind of has his finger on the pulse of the culture of America. And I was just fascinated by something that he said that just really struck me and really motivated me towards the mission that we've been given. He said that Because of the the past weeks and months of COVID-19, the decline of the church in America has progressed at a rate that would have taken 10 years. He said the the church over in Europe, the church over in England, most of the cathedrals, most of the churches, many of them are just empty. They'll have 30 people meet on a Sunday. They'll have 40 people gather for worship, and that's a good-sized church over in England because there is just falling away of the church And he said this. He said, what took 10 years over in London to develop happened at a rapid place through COVID-19 here in America. He said, some people don't even miss church. Some people have got used to not going to church, and and the cultural Christianity has kind of sort of come out. Some of those people will never come back to church. He said, we're worried about being exposed. Actually, COVID-19 indeed has exposed us, our fear, our lack of passion for the mission. He said, for many Christians in America, it's like we're living off the depleted resources of a previous generation. Now, what does that mean? Depleted resources of a previous generation. What he was talking about was this. Back in the day, church life was really all of life. Some of you remember growing up this way. Back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, everything revolved around the church. I mean, I remember that in my childhood. I remember going to to Springs of Grace Church, and and I would go to that church, and my parents would bring me, and we would go to Sunday school, then we'd go to main service, and then in, in the afternoon, there would be youth choir. And then we'd go to Sunday night service where there's another sermon. And then we'd go to Tuesday where there's RAs and GAs. And then we'd go to Wednesday night church. And, and then we'd go to Friday night evangelism. And there's just all of life happened where? In the church. And what Moeller was saying is, over the past years, we have been enjoying the depleted inheritance of a previous generation that laid down a godly path for us. And he said, America is being exposed in this time, and it's sort of like a cut flower. Still, still beautiful. There's still some beauty to it, residual beauty, but it's wilting, and a change is required from the current church if we're going to correct course, if we're going to maintain that beauty, change is required. We are going to have to get focused on our mission. We're going to have to stop fighting from within. We're going to have to stop complaining, and we're going to have to stop doing some things that cause division, and we've got to get focused on the mission. And I listened, and I just felt such motivation to come back and get focused. Today, I've entitled my sermon, Highly Motivated Discipleship. That's what we're talking about in Titus chapter 2. We're going to look at some motivations today. In Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, we saw something that leads up to the good life, and that's really the study that we're in, the good life. And every chapter is about a part of the good life. We saw that if you're going to live the good life, it's not sitting around on a beach somewhere enjoying a decadence. The good life is the life that leads people back to Jesus Christ. It's the life of of leadership. It's the life of discipleship, chapter 2. And then next week, we're going to look at the life of relationship, that in your relationships, you're leading people back to Jesus. That's the study. And today, we're finishing chapter 2 on discipleship, but last week, we included those five different groups of people on how you can lay down a life that others will pick it up and be discipled and enter into a discipling relationship with Jesus Christ. The problem is, you realize that even if you do your very best, even if you give it all that you have, it's almost like me coming here and saying, do these things, and you say to yourself, I can't. And I'm saying, try harder. That's not helpful. We need better motivation than someone saying, try harder. We need something more powerful. And so today we're going to come to a text where Paul follows up those exhortations with motivation to do it. And to sum it all up, it's the motivation of God's grace. We want to look at God's grace that enables us to do the commands. He not only commands us to be some things and to do some things, He also gives us the grace so that we can fulfill it, so that we can walk in those things. Isn't that great news? It's the gospel of God's grace. It's wonderful news. So let's take our Bibles. Let's stand in honor of God's Word. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. This is the imperative of a pastor. This is my job. I'm declaring them to you with boldness, with power. I want to give that faithfully to you today. But I want you to notice something. It starts with a conjunction. Now, how many of you are in the generation where you grew up with a cartoon called Conjunction Junction or Schoolhouse Rock? Do you remember this? In fact, I remember watching these when I was little. These things have been on the TV forever. One of them has this little guy off to the side, and he's the conductor. And you remember this one? Conjunction, junction. What's your… Oh, that is so cool. It's amazing. You know that. Conjunctions are great, aren't they? Notice this passage starts with a conjunction. It's the word for. We're connecting to the previous passage. A conjunction connects a couple of ideas together, and it's the idea that, that in this previous section you've been given a detail of how to make disciples. And now, four, for the grace of God has appeared, four. We're going to see the motivation, I'm going to show you four motivations so that you can actually accomplish this mission that's been given to you. So may God bless the reading and the preaching of His Word. And may you as God's people receive this in your heart today as truly God's Word. Hey, I want to sum up the whole sermon today. Let me just give you this very simple explanation. We're going to get a picture of some extreme grace, and extreme grace is extremely motivating. That's really the whole sermon. We're going to look at five verses, and you're going to see extreme boundless grace, and that's going to push you on in your mission of discipleship. That's the whole sermon. So if you're here today and someone asks you, what did you learn about the Lord in this sermon, you're going to learn that He's given us extreme, boundless grace, therefore I need to be extremely motivated to go accomplish His mission. Let me give you four elements of His grace that motivate us. Number one, if you're taking notes. We need to be motivated by astonishing grace. This is amazing grace. This is astonishing grace. This is shocking grace. Notice in verse 11, that's where we see it first. It's astonishing because it it just appears. It shows up. It's almost like, ta-da, it's here. It shows up when you don't expect it. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. It shows up. The word here, we'll see it a couple times in our passage, is the word epiphany. Have you ever had one of those moments where it's just like an epiphany strikes and it just shows up and you just remember something? Something comes to your mind. That's the word we're dealing with it's an epiphany. It it appears. If you're a Christian, you know exactly what this is. This is the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And specifically, it's talking about the gospel when Christ came into history, and Jesus was born of a virgin, and He became truly human, truly God. He was already truly God, but but the hypostatic union of those two moments where He became fully man, and He was fully, fully, truly God that moment of the gospel when Jesus became one of us in every way except He never sinned. And He did that to pay for our sins on the cross. Now, how do I know that this is specifically talking about the person of Jesus Christ? Well, uh, if you fast forward into Titus chapter 3 verse 4, it says this, When the goodness and the loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, He saved us. Very similar construction. The grace of God appeared. In fact, that word kindness could be translated as grace. It's the grace of God. Same word. The grace of God, our Savior, appeared. He saved us. Notice the word here, he. It's associating he with the goodness and the kindness of our God and Savior. This is a he. It's a personification of God's grace. That's the idea. Same thing we see over in Luke chapter 2 when Simeon receives Jesus Christ. He was told, I'll I'll get to see this Savior before I die. And he holds Jesus, baby Jesus, in his hands. And he says, Lord, now I have seen what? Your salvation. Your salvation. That's the idea. You and I ought to be daily astonished at that moment when salvation came, but also specifically salvation came to you when the loving kindness of God appeared in your life. Oh friends, let me say this, never, never get over your conversion. Never let it become something normal in your life. You and I ought to wake up daily and retrace the the absolute truths of the gospel on a day-by-day basis and remember that the God of all salvation astonished us when He appeared to us in salvation. You and I, being a Christian, is a life of continual astonishment of God's grace. Continual aston- In fact, this will continue on into heaven. In fact, I heard it said once that when you get to heaven, you will be astonished at who is there, you will be astonished at who's not there, and last of all and most of all, you will be astonished that you're there. Yeah, right. yeah. It is a continual astonishment of God's grace. God's gospel did not appear to you because you are worthy. It came in spite of your unworthiness be motivated and continually astonished by that. Also let's be astonished that this gospel comes apart from works. When I'm out on the street sharing the gospel, when I'm sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, I generally love to ask that question, how does sinful man be made right with holy God? And the the answer back that I almost always get is by being a good person. And beloved, that is not the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This Gospel that I'm declaring to you today is… this is different than every other false means of of salvation that's out there. This message of this Gospel is different than every other religion in the world. Every other message out there says you have to do something, you have to balance some scales, you have to give a bribe to God in order to pay off your sin. But this message is not like those messages, no friends. This message, this gospel is not like those false gospels. This message appears to say paid in full. It comes with a receipt, not a bill. It comes with a receipt, not a bill. Notice it says verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation. It doesn't say that the grace of God appears with a bill for salvation. No, Christ Christ brings it in His hand and says to you, even you who are lost today, He says it to you, I have brought salvation, I have paid salvation, you have to receive it, not pay for it. Salvation comes with a receipt, not a bill. That receipt is the resurrection. Our problem is that we're so tempted and so prone to try and pay our own way to heaven, aren't we? Aren't we just sort of idle factories that sort of want to earn our own way to heaven? That is not the gospel, though. You see, works are a product of salvation, not the basis. You will never, ever, ever be good enough to earn salvation. Think about it this way. In order to be right with God, you need a righteousness that is equal to God, and only Jesus can provide that righteousness. You and I need something alien, what the Reformers called an alien righteousness, something apart from ourself, something not found in ourself. All your works are like filthy rags. You need someone to give the offering, the sacrifice that God requires. And only God can do this. Only Jesus Christ can do this. Boy, we try though, don't we? Some of you may still be bound in that world where you're believing your goodness can merit some sort of favor to God, and that is not the gospel. It's interesting. How many of you remember the, uh, the old cake in a box? How many of you have used this? You realize that the old cake in the box... When it first came out, it was, a, it was a formula that just required water, just add water. And in the marketing world, it completely flopped when it was marketed to the, the rest of the United States, didn't sell. But then they changed the formula, and they said, all you got to do now is add one what? And it's an egg. Everybody knows that. You add one egg. They changed the formula, add an egg, and you know what happened? They flew off the shelves. Everybody bought these things. And what I think that 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 sort of exposes in humanity is our propensity to want to do something, to add something. I want to feel like I'm doing something. like I'm adding a work to to mean it. But here's the truth. God will never change His formula for salvation. And the Bible tells us that His formula for salvation is apart from works. It is that old hymn that we used to sing, nothing in my hand I bring, only to thy cross I cling. And dear friend, if you are far from God and you are foul, you need to fly to His fountain where you can be washed by Him. Titus 3.5 tells us His recipe for salvation. Oh, just let this wash over you. Look at it. He saved us how? Not because of works, if there's any questions in the room. This is done not by works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. And friends, the only hope for all humanity is that God would come and offer His Son for salvation. He has done that in His appearing. It's a great story that comes out of Hollywood. Kevin Bacon was telling a story about his six-year-old son. Apparently, he took him to that movie Footloose. And after it was over, his six-year-old son looked up at his dad and said, Dad, that part where you were swinging from the rafters in that old building, that was amazing. How'd you do that? And he said, Son, I… actually, I didn't do it. Actually, that was a stunt double. Dad, what's a stunt double? Well, a stunt double is someone who does what I, I can't do. He dresses up like me, and he does the thing I, I can't do. Oh. A little six-year-old face walks away, kind of puzzled by that. Comes back a little while later and says, Dad, how about that other part? You remember that part when you, when you were dancing on the, the bar, and, and you did like a backflip or something? How'd you do that? Son, uh, again, that was a gymnastics double. I he, did it for me. What's a gymnastics double? It's someone who dresses in, in my clothes, and, and he does what I can't do, and, and he does it, and I, I, you know, that's what happened. Oh. And he goes away, still puzzled, little six-year-old look on his face, kind of wondering what's going on. Comes back a third time, and he says, hey, Dad. Yes, son? What exactly did you do in that uh, movie? <laughs> and Kevin Bacon's response was, I got all the credit, and uh, that's, that's the answer. Someone else did the work, I get the credit. That, friends, touches on what we're talking about here of the gospel. Jesus Christ put on humanity, maintaining all of His godness, became one of us in every way, did what we could not do, and we, by faith, by grace through faith, I should say, we believe, we repent, and receive all the credit that is the gospel. It's astounding. It's astonishing. Never get used to it. And its astonishment continues. Look more at verse 11. Notice those two words. Who's this for? This gospel brings salvation to who? All people. It comes to all the people. This is for the greatest to the least. For every person who would believe, for every race, for every tribe, for every nation, this would have astounded good Jews. This would have astounded a a Jewish audience because they believed in Jewish exclusivity. This is for all people, from the greatest to the least. It is for all the people at your work. It is the door wide open for the worst sinner that you know. It is the gospel and good news and the promise for any who would believe it who are watching on this live stream. If you don't think that God would ever accept you, and if you think I'm the furthest one for God, or I'm, I, I'm too sinful, you do not understand the extent of this gospel and who it reaches to. You just don't get it. Right. Erwin Lutzer said it so well. He said, there's more grace in God's heart than there is sin in your past, amen? amen. Another quote. Richard Sibbs said, there's more mercy in Jesus than there is sin in you, amen? The mercy of God is far-reaching. The mercy of God goes to all people. The mercy of God is inexhaustible grace for you. Friends, be astonished by God's grace. And if you would believe that message, that Jesus is a Savior of all who believe, through faith, through repentance, this message would become in you a wellspring of life. Not only would it save you, it would also motivate you to be on mission for the Lord. Friends, the grace of God is astonishing. It would fuel in your life a lifetime of astonishment. It would well up inside of you for all eternity, and it would never cease to be astonishing for you if you would believe it. You would be continually and always astonished by God's grace that has come to you in the person of Jesus Christ. Rehearse it, believe it, be astonished by it, and that's what fuels our discipleship. Amen?
0: We trust that today's message has been a challenge and an encouragement to you. Jesus tells us that truth always demands a response, so he calls us to be doers of his word, not hearers only. So this is your moment of truth. How is God calling you to respond? If you would like to watch or listen to this message, please visit online at centralchurch.com We'd also like to meet you in person. Worship with us at 9 or 11 a.m. every Sunday at Central Church. If you're unable to attend in person, we also have services streaming live where you can engage and chat with other believers throughout the service. Visit centralchurch.com live to find out more. If you would like to donate to support this program and God's Word being sent out, Please mail a gift, or you can call us at 866-TRUTH-TN, and someone will be standing by to receive your credit card donation. We are located at 2005 Winchester Boulevard in Collierville, Tennessee. We can't wait to explore God's truths with you next week. Moment of Truth is sponsored by Central Church.